Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Last week, we started walking through the book of Job, talking about uh, the struggles and the trials that Job went through and kind of asking ourselves, you know, how does that apply to our lives? Uh, And we said that the goal of this entire series is that no matter where we are in our spiritual journey, that every one of us be able to take a step forward in our faith. Uh, If you're, you know, just starting out with Christianity, if you've been a Christian uh, for years, wherever you are in your spiritual journey and your relationship with God, our goal is that we take a step forward. And we ended last week at a place where um, God intervened in Job's life, where Satan had already set his sights on Job, and and God stepped in. And uh, let me just put these verses up here on the screen. In Job chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And God is obviously, you know, proud of Job. Job has this uh, awesome, the the Bible lists him as one of the greatest men in the East, not just because of his wealth, but because of his relationship with God. But a lot of people look at this and say, hey, isn't this God taking Job and like throwing him under the bus and saying, hey, Satan, you know, you're out there looking for someone whom you can destroy and devour. Why not take a shot at Job? But that's not what happens, actually, because in the next verse, uh, it says, uh, Satan responds, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. So Satan already knew about Job. He had already set his sights on him. He knew about how much money he had. He knew how good his business was doing. He knew about his family. Uh, He knew everything about him. And it wasn't God throwing him under the bus. It was God intervening. Kind of like if you're, you know, maybe this has happened. Hopefully it hasn't. But, you know, when your kids are small and you're out at the pool and, you know, you see someone about to come and push your kid in. And your kid doesn't know it, but you see it, and you step in, and you intervene, and you say, hey, little Jimmy, what are you doing? About to cause some mischief, aren't you? And you step in. Now, your kid doesn't know what's going on, but you kind of step in. And this was God stepping in, and although, as we're going to see, what happens is really harsh and really, really, like, traumatic from a human standpoint, um, the, the matter is that God steps in, and if God allows all those harsh things, even though they're harsh, even though they're traumatic, even though they're overwhelming, and we would not wish them on our worst enemy, if God allows something, it must be for our benefit or his glory. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we trust God? Not just when, you know, the bank account is full, not just when things are going great, not just when we're in our greatest health and we're training for marathons and, you know, all the kids' activities at school are going great, uh, but when you get the call from school that the kid's about to get expelled, when you get the call from the doctor that says it isn't bad news, it's horrible news. When you answer the door and there's two policemen there 
And their very first words are, I am so sorry for your loss. Are we still able to trust God? That's what the entirety of the book of Job is about, even though it entails a lot of stuff that um, we think are harsh. But we're going to continue. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Job, chapter 1. And we're going to continue reading through in verse 12, starting in verse 12. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he, meaning Job, has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And in verse 13 it says, one day when Job's sons and daughters were fasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, and we don't know when this is, we don't know how long after, and I like the way the Bible phrases it, because in a lot of places you'll see where it says the next day, or shortly thereafter, or after then, and one of the things I love is that there's not a time indicated, because the things that take place in God's presence, God sits outside of time. So it wasn't before, it wasn't after, it wasn't a way, day later. It just says from a human perspective, one day all these things happened. So one day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to, excuse me, came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So at that point, half of his business gone. Wiped out with just one sentence. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. So now, almost all of it is gone. Three-fourths of his business gone. Uh, and there's a lot of speculation because some theologians believe that when it says the fire that fell from the sky, uh, they think that can't possibly be lightning. Because lightning wouldn't cause, you know, that big of a fire. Could have set something on fire that just swept through. A lot of theologians believe that it was literally the kind of fire and brimstone that fell down on Sodom. And, and here's, here's, here's where there's a, I don't have an answer for you, but I would be remiss if I didn't share it with you. Because the way this looks, it doesn't look like God just allowed these things to happen. Some of these things could not have happened without God's direct intervention. Satan doesn't have the authority or the power to make fire fall from the sky. That's a God thing. Satan doesn't have that kind of power and authority. Even though God gave him the authority, it looks like, and, and again, I don't have an answer for you, but this is the struggle a lot of people have with this book. It looks like some of these things, God directly did them himself. And that's up for you to determine uh, whether or not. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. And at this point, in Job's mind, all of his businesses are gone. They're wiped out, and he is, for lack of a better term, penniless. And while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and underline that word. 
because make no mistake, it's likely that he fell to the ground really ticked off, for lack of a better word, frustrated, angry, upset, mad, sad, very emotional, but he also fell to the ground in worship, in praise of God, in love of God, despite the circumstances that had literally just overwhelmed his life. And he said this, verse 21, and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now understand that Job was grieving. At this point, he's dealing with a monumental loss. He's lost his business. And, and it's likely that when the first guy came up and said, you know, the, the sheep or the oxen, I forget which one, the donkeys, and uh, they were all destroyed, um, and all of the servants with them, if you think about it, it wasn't just his business that he's lost. Those servants were likely people that he knew his friends, his acquaintances. It's not likely that he found some guy yesterday and sent him out with all of his donkeys because that guy could just take off. So it's probably people who he knew, who he trusted, people who he had over to his house for dinner, some of them long-term. Uh, if you think about it, there was probably someone there who provided lunch for those guys, someone there who fed those guys, someone there, uh, lots of them taking care of the animals. So there's a handful of his trusted friends and employees, and in his mind, he's thinking, oh my gosh, not only is my business gone, but their lives are gone. How do I explain that to their family? And then someone shows up and says, hey, that's not the worst of it. Your other business is gone, and those servants are gone, and those friends are gone. And all of this he's dealing with, all of this going into his head, and then he hears, hey, your family your children, not just the oldest one, not just the middle one, not just the youngest one, all of them are gone in a horrific, tragic accident. And I don't think it's just, and I'm not trying to say that the Bible is wrong, but I don't think it's just worship that drives him to his knees. I think it's grief that drives him to worship God because he has nowhere else to turn. And we as humans, we weren't meant to experience loss. So emotionally and mentally, it's a little bit difficult for us to deal with that whole grieving process. Uh, because when God created humanity, we were created to live together in community with each other and God forever. That was God's initial plan. Hey, Adam, hey, Eve, go populate the earth. We're going to live together forever. There was no death, so God did not equip us to experience death. And when we're dealing with the loss of a loved one, it, 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 it drains on us emotionally and physically and mentally and spiritually because it's not something we're accustomed to. Now, unfortunately, in our world, it is something that we're getting accustomed to more and more and more and more. But it's not something that we should ever become comfortable with. This is why you see soldiers coming back with post-traumatic stress disorder because they see just tragic and, and, and on large scales losses of life. People killed in ways that they were not normally used to seeing or imagining. 
This is why whenever there's a, a shooting at a school or a tragedy on the ground or even when there's natural disasters, they don't just send in first responders. They send in grief counselors to help people deal with that kind of stuff. And there's a, uh, there's a TV show on. Uh, it's not on. It's on Netflix um, called 13 Reasons. I think it's 13 Reasons Why. Has anyone seen it? Okay. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'm just going to spit it out. We'll clean it up later. Because there's a lot of churches and church groups and pastors that are saying, you as Christians should not watch that show. Because it does deal with uh, sexual assaults. It does deal with bullying. It does deal with foul mouth kids. It does deal with suicide and death. Now, my viewpoint is that if you are a Christ follower and you have teenage kids, you should watch it, and then you should sit down and talk about it with them because that's what's going on in their school. And rather than ban them from that, you should prepare them for, hey, you may one day, because that's the world we live in, have to walk into school or college or your workplace to find out that one of your friends has lost their life or taken their life, and it's going to hurt like nobody's business. And that's something that we as parents uh, should be prepared to equip our children with. Because it's going to happen. Now, here's the other thing. If you know of someone who is dealing with that kind of loss and that kind of pain and that kind of anguish, you know of someone who, you know, uh, every day we turn on and it was just locally. And somewhere around Pittsburgh, uh, someone has either taken their life or lost their life or someone got shot or something happens. And if you know of someone dealing with that, you know, don't argue with them, don't judge them, don't get on, this never would have happened if you had been a better husband, father, whatever, just sit with them and love them and be present. Somewhere down the road, if God puts it on your heart to say, hey, here's a way this could have been done better, do that. At that moment, just be there for because that's what we would want. If something, you know, God forbid, happened to one of my kids, I would, I, would, I, would, I would understand somewhere down the road someone saying, Floyd, you know what, you could have been a better father, you could have done this better, you could have done that better. But in that moment, that's not what anyone needs to hear, nor will they listen. They just want someone who's going to help them through their grief. So let's um, jump back into the book of Job, turn to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, it says, on another day, starting in verse 1, the angels, and that word angels, both in chapter 1 and chapter 2, is literally the sons of God. Ben Elohim, Ben meaning son, Elohim meaning God, sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. And this is, again, that struggle between, did God just allow this to happen? Did God have a hand in this happening? And we don't know, but we know God's perspective of Job is, hey, he's still blameless, he's still upright, he's still someone whom I love, and we know that that's the way that Job still viewed God. 
Verse 4, skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery, and if you can, try to picture this. He took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Now, I'm going to put some of these verses back up on the screen uh, because I want to expound on, on what we just read. And in verse, verses 7 through 8, Satan left God and struck Job with terrible sores. This is the message version. Job was ulcers and scabs from head to foot. He was in immense physical pain. And when you read he picked up a piece of broken pottery, it's not like he took, like, something clean, something whatever. He's sitting on an ash heap of garbage and just picked up a piece of pottery and used that to scratch at the festering wounds that are covering his body. He is in emotional pain. He is in physical pain. And some theologians speculate, and I kind of lean toward this too, that uh, at that time, you, you and I, we put the trash out, and we hope that the guys come on time and pick it up, and then we put the bins back in. At that time, what they would do is somewhere far removed from the house, they would go and they would just burn the trash because there was no garbage pickup service. But a lot of theologians speculate, and I kind of lean toward this as well, that he didn't just go outside to his trash heap. It is likely that he went to either the trash heap where one of his businesses, the fire that got from the sky, or he possibly went to the rubble, the cleanup where all of his children died. And he sat on the pile of rubble and garbage and ash because he felt like garbage. Because he is emotionally broken, he's lost everything, he's financially ruined. Not only did he lose all of his children, but again, his servants, his friends, his co-workers, all gone. And at some point, either before or after, he had to go to their families, one after another, and say, this is what happened to your husband, your son, your child. And in the midst of all this, this is the conversation that he has with his wife. His wife said to him, do you still hold fast your blameless uprightness? Renounce God and die. Most of your Bibles, if you're using NIV or ESV, it says, um, curse God and die. The Amplified says renounce because that's what she was asking him to do. Now realize, a lot of people give her a lot of a bad rep because she's like, you know what, curse God and die. But now she's responsible after she lost friends, after she lost finances, after she is penniless, after she lost all of her children, she's responsible for taking care of him. And that word where it says renounce is actually the word curse. And uh, in Genesis, uh, that word curse is used both for bless and to curse. 
In Genesis 12, it says, this is God speaking. He says, I will bless those to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Because if, if, if the good things come from God, we call them a blessing. If bad things come from God, they call them a curse. And his wife is saying, hey, just curse God and be done with it. Just, just move on with your life. And his response to her, just like hers is kind of harsh, his response to her is equally harsh. Because this is what he says. He says, he said to her, you speak as one of the impious and foolish women would speak. And then he says this, which is, which is great theology, which probably could have helped them. He says what? Shall we accept only good at the hand of God? And shall we not accept also misfortune? And what is of bad nature? In spite of all this, Job didn't sin with his lips. Now, here's the problem, okay? And, and this, is, this, is, this is the crucial point. That word for foolish literally means stupid, disrespectful, vile, and wicked. All of that is contained when, in that Hebrew word that he uses for foolish. So his wife comes up to him on this garbage heap as he's scraping himself and disease-ridden and in pain and anguish. And she says, curse God and die. And although what he said afterwards was great theology, which could help them, you know what, this, this, if this bad thing is from God, we got to take it because all the blessings God gave us, we took those freely too. But she probably didn't hear it because what she heard was, you stupid, disrespectful, vile, and wicked woman. And everything after that was probably like, wah, 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 wah. And if he wasn't in pain, I'm probably sure she probably would have took a swing at him. And I realize that they're both in places where they're not going to have any good, wholesome, healthy conversations because that's what grief does. It puts us in a place where we're not in our best, not at our best, we're not in our right mind. And although, again, he had some great stuff that, hey, you know what, this is the bad that came from God, but let's think about all the good God gave us too. That probably got washed away. Because they were just going at one another. And although they were going at one another, although she was yelling at him, they were arguing and, and, and disagreeing. And although he was yelling at her, at least she showed up. Because I don't know if you guys realize this, Job had other family members and not a single one of them showed up then. When you get to the end of the story of Job, in chapter 42 says this, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him before came and ate with him at his house, in his house. They comforted and consoled him over all the trouble the Lord had brought on him, and each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now, it's not like he had one brother and two sisters or one sister and two brothers. Uh, at a minimum... Two brothers, two sisters, they didn't show up. His wife arguing with him, blaming him, saying, curse God and die. At least she was there. They showed up after he got the job back, after finances were restored, after he was on the other side. But that's not when he needed his family the most. And if you have family members 
going through any type of struggle, any type of whatever, just don't let your family members struggle alone. Don't let them go through and suffer through a loss of a friend, a loved one, a coworker, whatever, alone. Even if you're at odds with them, you know what? Hey, I haven't been here for you for the last couple of months, but I see what you're going through now. I'm here. Hey, you know what? We haven't talked in three years, but I know you just lost your wife. How can I help you? Hey, you know what? We haven't been able to get along for generations, but you're hurting right now. I just want to be here for you now. Let's put that aside. Next month, we can go back to, you know, calling each other names on Facebook. But for right now, how can I help you? How can I be there for you? And this is the question, this is the point where we get to ask, so what? Why is this aspect of Job's life relevant to us? And it's important because we need to understand that the support of our friends and family in times of trial and struggle can determine how we handle the trial and struggle. Some people, they won't turn to God at all. But if family shows up and comforts them and says, hey, you know what? Let's pray together. Some people will blame God as Job's wife did. But if family members had showed up and reiterated what Job said without calling her a foolish, vile, wicked woman, maybe she would have said, yeah, you know what? God has given us some good stuff. And he's seen us through hard times before. Maybe he will see us through this. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, this is my command. And this is the message version. Love one another the way I loved you. This is the very best way to love. Put your life on the line for your friends. And a lot of times we won't put our lives on the line. We won't go to, you know, the family member or the friend or even the, the, the church family member when they're going through something because we don't want to get that kind of mess on us. I haven't talked to Aunt Gertie for 15 years, and I know she just lost her husband, but I don't want to deal with all that stuff. She was mean then. She'll probably be mean now. I haven't talked to so-and-so for uh, a couple of weeks, and I know they're going through something, but that's their stuff. I don't want to get involved. And I don't know if you guys remember, but last year around September, uh, we did a series called You're Invited, where it talked about how to invite people into your life, not just to the Sunday celebration, but invite them into your life. And over the last couple of weeks, that series has been the most downloaded series. I don't see, know if you guys can see it, most downloaded series on our website. In the last 30 days, it was downloaded 264 times. This is as of Friday. Last month, it was downloaded over 340-something times. Because in that, and it's not that we're doing that good, and I don't know why, you know, you look around and you're like, hey, there's not a lot of people, you know, drawn here, but for some reason they're finding the messages online and they're soaking them up, which is great. But that message spoke about the fact that when you invite people into your life, you're going to get some of their junk and their mess and their issues on you, and it's okay. That doesn't mean you go in and gossip about their life. That doesn't mean they go in and gossip about yours. But it just means that it's okay to get involved. And, and I get this a lot because someone will ask, hey, I haven't seen so-and-so for a while or I haven't seen so-and-so for a while. And they'll say, hey, Pastor, have you called them? And I'm like, no, I haven't called them. Because then I ask, have you called them? 
because I don't want to call them. And because immediately when the pastor calls, what does it sound like? Why haven't you been to church? But if you guys call, what does it sound like? I haven't seen you for a while. Are you okay? And, well, Kevin and Bonnie are here, but let's talk about them anyway. When they were, um, there was a couple of weeks that they were, was it sick or flu or some kind of bug hit their house? And, and no one came up to me and said, have you called them, which is great. Several people came up to me and say, did you know they were sick? Because they had, I guess, called or texted or did whatever to reach out to them, which was great because that's what we're supposed to do. That's getting involved in each other's life and reaching out to people and making sure they're okay. And when you reach out to them, you have the opportunity to pray with them or pray for them. Paul writes this in Ephesians, pray at all times on every occasion and every season in the spirit with all manner of prayer and entreaty. To that end, keep alert and watch with strong purpose and perseverance, interceding on behalf of the saints. In short, pray all the time, pray regularly, but pray for one another. Get involved with each other. Check up on one another. See how others are doing. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're not going to sing. I just want to uh, have them set the tone as we, uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time in prayer. Uh, your great name is. They begin to play. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads. But first, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of a friend or a family member or a coworker. Someone that you know of, that yeah, they just went through something. Maybe it's a coworker who is no longer a coworker because they got laid off, and they they're a single parent trying to put kids through school or just trying to keep food on the table. Maybe it's a a family member, cousin so and so, and maybe they just lost their job, or maybe they just lost a family member, or maybe they just lost a coworker, or maybe it's. One of your friends who you know, they just got that news that no one wants to get. Yes, it is cancer. Just think of someone that you know, maybe it's not on the scale that Job went through, but they're going through a lot. And, and here's the thing, if you don't, if you honestly cannot think of someone, stop right now and thank God that you can there's no one in your circle of influence that's struggling or going through trials or struggles or tribulation. But if there is, I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me and pray for that person. So God, we lift up the, the family member, the co-worker, the friend that you just laid on our heart. Whether it's because of financial issues or medical issues, maybe it's, it's, it's a, a, a cousin or a, a brother or a sister or an uncle or a nephew, and they're going through relationship issues. They're struggling to keep their marriage together. And you know that God has so many words of wisdom that you could speak into their life, but you didn't want to get their junk on you. God, we pray that you would not just bring those people to mind, but put it on our heart to reach out to them, not to tell them how to run their life or deal with their marriage or to, how to get another job or how they should have been on time or to keep a job, but just to show up, say, I'm here for you. How can I help you? 
God, we thank you that, as your word says, when we were at our worst, when we were enemies of you, is what the Bible calls us, that you stepped in in a huge way to bear our burdens and to get all of our mess on you, all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, all of our frustration, all of our iniquity, all of the things that separate us from God, you stepped in and took it all upon you. And for that, we thank you. And we know you're not asking us to take all of that on for someone else. You're just asking us to be there for them, to love them, to encourage them, and to, as you allow, to pray with them and pray for them. We pray for healing for those that need healing, for reconciled relationships for those that need that. We pray for uh, marriages to be made whole, families to be made whole, finances to be restored, bodies to be healed. All by the power of your name, Lord. God, we thank you so much. We pray again that you would bless us as we go. Thank you for the right that we have to gather on a Sunday morning or whenever we want and lift up your name in song and prayer or in praise. We thank you for those rights. We thank you for those privileges. We thank those people who gave their lives so that we could have those privileges. We pray that we keep that in mind as we celebrate this Memorial Day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen.